I'm Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 117. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Well, I am sitting across a Zoom screen, which is not my favorite thing, with one of my very favorite people, Rachel Winchester, my assistant and my adopted daughter and personal friend. And Rachel um, has, she and her husband have three adorable children. We won't talk about that. And um, they are just the sweetest little family. And Rachel, of course, fields a lot of questions from all of you and hears, you know, different things that are on your hearts as you're reaching out for appointments with her, with me through her. And so um, Rachel asked if we could do a couple interviews with some of the questions that you have been verbalizing with her. So that's what we're going to do in this podcast, and we'll probably do another one as well. So welcome, my sweet friend, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you, honey. So I'm just going to turn this over to you because you've got the questions. All right. Well, I think this is probably a pretty common one, but um, we'll start out with this about what if dad doesn't read? Like whether he's a reader himself or just is hesitant to read to the children. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I would say is um, when people ask me that, and it's a common question, my question is, will he listen if he won't read? So if he's willing to listen while mommy reads, that still sends a huge signal to your children that daddy values books and being read to. And then what I find very often happens is if a dad is not comfortable reading very often after you've been reading aloud as a family quite a bit, then you can use some of your feminine wiles and do things like, oh, I'm really tired tonight. Would you mind reading, honey? And then he's like, oh, all right. And usually you can kind of draw them in once they're in love with the book and love with the time you have with your family. Also, um, if a dad feels like he can't read well, and you know, in my seminars, I explain why boys tend to not be literary people, um, then there are two things. One, we become better the more we do it. And so encouraging your children, I always say, take them outside and give them each a quarter and tell daddy to tell daddy what a great reader he is and how he's their favorite and we'd rather he read because a lot of men do feel inadequate and um, that they you know can't read as well as mommy or that they're not as literary but the point is that the more we do it the better we become and so I always say to dads well you can read hop on pop right so if you can read hop on pop your kids think you're a genius because they can't read hop on pop and then as your children get older, you can read the Little House books, right? And then as your children get older, you can read the Narnia books. And then you can read Jane Austen and Charles Dickens. But we don't start there. Hopefully we start when the children are young and we become readers as we read to our children. Also, a lot of dads don't read very dramatically and it drives the wife crazy. And I understand that. But I would say a bad day with dad reading is better than a good day with mommy reading. So anyway, we can make daddy the reader 
it's so important. And so we need to be his cheerleader. We need to believe in him, praise him, encourage him. And also, um, I recommend a lot to dads who tell me they don't read well or the wife will say it to me in, in his presence. And I'll say, but you know what, if dad would, if you'd read, listen to more um, books on tape, you know, more audio books yourself by professional readers, you will start to get into kind of the, the flow of how it is to do voices and sound effects and things like that, that most men would feel a little embarrassed doing, but your kids think you're amazing when you do it. And if you listen to books, audiobooks, you will begin to loosen up a little bit and get into the, the flow of that. So, um, but even if with all my ideas, if a dad is just like, I can't read or I don't read, that's okay. As if he will just be present with you guys as you read, uh, that's still a really big win. And I don't want any mom to feel sad or like they're looking in the bakery window and that they're kind of a second class family because of it. Um, and if a dad, sometimes I'll say to a dad, I know you're really tired when you come home and I understand that. So even if you would lay on the sofa or on a bed or something with your children and listen to an audiobook, that's still a win. Like I will take you however I'll get you dads because it's such a beautiful picture that real men love books and your children will grow up to be just like your sons will grow up to be like daddy and your girls will marry someone like daddy so this is such an important hill that we want to die on and we'll do it however we can we'll compromise yeah that's great so shifting gears a little bit into the kind of nuts and bolts of a homeschool day if you have a larger family or even like an age gap where you have some younger children who are still just running around and playing, but then you have the older kids that you're trying to, you know, teach uh, some sort of lesson to, yeah. um, then maybe some tips on how do you occupy the little ones? Yeah. Yes. You have to focus on yeah. the older ones. <laughs> Great question. And one that I'm often asked. So my, um, philosophy is that you get so this is what I recommend that you spend your summer going to garage sales and at these garage sales you buy wonderful amazing educational toys go over to the rich neighborhoods where they have the imported European toys and the really nice stuff and buy beautiful toys okay and then put them in like a magic uh, cupboard with a lock. And then when school starts, um, usually you need kind of silence and solitude <laughs> from your little ones, maybe about 45 minutes maximum a day. And so when you get to that point, it might be when you're teaching math, or it might be when you're um, reading history out loud, you know, depending on the age of your children, uh, the little ones that are really disruptive versus ones that could probably be with you when you're reading out loud, but they're not going to sit with you during math. So, you know, this is more of a consulting, you know, thing where we talk about the details, but speaking in generalities, the key is you need to have this magical kingdom that they're going to enter into for that say 45 minute space. And when that happens, you say to your littles, 
<gasps> it's time for your amazing school toys. And you open up the locked cabinet or a cabinet they can't reach and you pull out a toy that they have not seen in at least two weeks. And you bring that toy down and you say, oh, this is your school toy. And then they get to play with that toy, but it has high, high interest because they never get it any other time and they haven't seen it in a long time. And that usually buys you some pretty good space. Another option is gating. You can gate your children in with you so they don't flush $100 bills down toilets. <clears throat> or you can gate your children away from you, like in their own bedroom or in a playroom or something where you know they're safe or maybe you can see them, but there's some distance. And so the noise level is a little, you know, <laughs> lessened. Another thing that works really well in keeping younger children occupied while older children and you are trying to focus is food. So um, a very good thing to do, like a child who is in a high chair, that's, that's another amazing period of life. And children don't stay in high chairs forever. But when they are and when they will, you are living the dream. And so at that point, you take little tiny pieces of food, like um, little organic frozen peas or little pieces of chicken or cheese or whatever it is that your children would really think was fun. And you take one little pea and you sit the child next to you as you're reading or teaching or something. And you put that on their high chair and you leave it there. And then you take a little piece of cheese and you then after they've popped the pea in, now they have the little cheese. Now you take a little piece of carrot or, you know, whatever it is. And you're just giving them one thing at a time. So you're occupying those little fingers, their eye-hand coordination, their small motor control. And they think it's kind of a fun game to get that little tiny piece of whatever you just gave them into your mouth. And they don't get another one until that one's gone. So that's like a little silent game that a mommy or daddy can be playing with their child while they're teaching or reading or overseeing math. Another thing is giving children foods to dip. So Dr. Sears taught me this. So he's like, you make a little dip, maybe some yogurt and little maybe natural mayonnaise and um, little dill or, you know, whatever. And you make a little tiny bowl and you, and then you give children little things, little strips of vegetables or, you know, things like that. And that again is like such a fun activity for them with their eye-hand coordination. And it keeps them very occupied and fascinated. So, um, and then just having a meal where the children, even your older children can be eating, but your youngers are in like a high chair or a booster seat where they're contained. And again, they're eating and you're reading or you're doing something that really requires everyone to be safe <laughs> and contained. Um, so some moms do Bible in the morning while their kids are eating breakfast, for example. And that way everyone's hearing it and the littles are, are you know, not burning the house down and they're occupied. They're eating their favorite granola. And today we're having blueberries. Yes. And so they're excited about what they're eating. And you can get a lot done while they're doing that. So 
those are some ideas. And then the last idea, of course, is depending on the situation of your yard. If you have a gated, you know, fenced yard, that is the absolute best because then your children are meeting another huge uh, qualification that I give, which is they're playing outside, hopefully four to five hours a day. So if you can lock them outside and wave through the window um, and you know that they're safe or you can keep your eye on them through the dining room you know, door or whatever, that's another great way to divide and conquer. And again, buying things at garage sales, um, outdoor equipment that would really hold their interest, water play, sand play, construction materials, scrap lumber, uh, tools, and I know I'm speaking generalities here, not to give a two-year-old, you know, a bunch of nails and a saw, but your, you know, slightly older children um, that maybe are not doing a full school regime, maybe they're just in for Bible and maybe they come back in for history with read aloud, but when you're doing math and stuff like that, they're outside. Those kids can be part of a lot. Like we gave our son, Dr. Moore used to say, buy them tools, not toys. And so we got him a real set of tools when he was quite young. And I would say he was maybe six years old, something like that, um, and taught him how to use them. And he would be outside on the grass. We lived in California, so it was a year round thing that he could do at that point. But he would be hammering and, you know, screwing screws in the scrap, you know, and all that. Um, and that would keep him happy for hours. I mean, doing stuff like that, you know. So you're good at that, Rachel, um, with, with your kids. Your kids are very creative. Share some of the things that you do with your kids outside. Well, yeah, I was going to say my son is all about his tools and um, having scrap wood and saws and we don't have a fence and so when we live on a corner so people can see us very easily and people go by and they see a little six-year-old you know <laughs> using a saw or carrying around an axe and they're wondering like oh my goodness where is his mother right now and you know I pop out and wave and <laughs> so you might get some looks from the neighbors but yeah. as long as your children know what to do then it's okay, you know, and they really do stay occupied because they feel like they're doing something truly worthwhile and fruitful, not just like, oh, mom gave me this little plastic dinky hammer that, you know, always breaks or something. But exactly. um, yeah, my children, they have a mud kitchen and they're always coming up with new things that they, they do. You know. They're cooking and baking with mud. Yes. Yes. yes exactly. Painting, painting with mud. They, yes recently done that so you know it's amazing what they come up with yes um i also saw that i think this question came up on instagram sometime and someone talked about like when you do kind of put your littles um you know you have to divide them away then they were saying they noticed that it really helped to kind of fill their tank Yes. before sending them off so that then they didn't feel like oh wow mom's rejecting me but That's they right. felt like oh mom loves me so much and now I get to go you know live the dream outside or go play in the playroom or whatever rather than just like okay you're banished and we have real things to do you know That's so right. just really filling them up yes and the way probably to fill that tank would be um, reading to them or having the olders read to the littles. 
um, which is a great way to really encourage your kids in the read aloud skills and their fluency because the way we become fluent is reading lots of easy books and so we don't read hard books to become fluent we read lots of easy books to become fluent and the best way to do that is reading to a younger brother or sister so it also is the ultimate bonding experience to read to a child because they're annoying and obnoxious, I know. But when you're reading to them, they're sweet as can be. It's like looking at your children when they're sleeping. No matter what you live through in the day, they look so darling when they're sleeping. And in the same way, reading to a child really endears you to the child you're reading to. That's very true. Um, so speaking of older children, um, how do I keep my middle schooler engaged in books and not the internet? Let's see. How do I keep my middle child? Is that what she's? What, what middle she's, schooler, like maybe a preteen middle schooler. So maybe they're kind of in that middle childhood or older childhood, but not quite a teenager or something. And mm -hmm. how do you keep them into books and not in the internet? Mm -hmm. They might have more access to being online or to screens or something at that age. Yeah. yeah. Well, I personally would say I don't see any reason for them to be online unless they're doing a typing course. So um, I think the longer you can keep a child away from um, the electronic world, the better. So I, I really think that is probably the most important thing you can do if you want your child to be intelligent and you want them to be godly and innocent is no screens. And we don't use screens for school. Um, I know there are some curriculum that require that. Um, I might allow a child to do a math curriculum if they're just really, really struggling with the things that I recommend and they're not able to use those for some reason. And, you know, I take every family um, as a separate case, you know, I'm not legalistic about, but other than that, um, you don't need screens for school. Uh, around eighth grade is a great time to learn to type. And so that I would, but always the screen is in a um, public area. There are no screens in the bedroom ever, ever, ever. And um, hopefully we use them, the uh, philosophy that the last child to get a phone wins. And so, uh, and if you do give a child a phone, I know in our landline less homes, you might have a child who's a, a preteen, 14, 13, whatever, that's not preteen, but whatever, um, who's babysitting and there's no phone in your house. And so I would rather that you get a, uh, a flip phone that only allows you to text and call um, and make that the family phone. And so if you have a group of teenagers, um, you know, preteens, that kind of thing, until someone's driving, I just don't think they need a phone. And so, but you have a family phone so that if a child is babysitting or they're going for a walk alone um, in the neighborhood and you're nervous about it, um, then they can take the family phone, but they can they cannot access the internet is the point. So uh, I think it's very important to be parental and just keep reminding yourself and ask yourself the same question, who's running the asylum? And you will thank me later 
And your children will thank you later. They won't thank you now, but they'll thank you later for being parental and not running a popularity contest in your home. We don't care if our children like us at a certain stage in life, but someday they will really love us. So having said that, I think we've run out of time. Yes. So thank you, Miss Rachel. And thank you for joining me this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast, listeners. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing. Visit my website, caroljoyside.com to subscribe to our weekly email and receive exclusive discounts in my online store where seminars and interviews are available. Be sure to tune in next week for my next episode where I help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings.